Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Eugenia Prattley, and I'm from HSBC. And I'm really, really, really thrilled today to kick off this brand new series in partnership with Albright with an absolutely phenomenal entrepreneur, Freddie Harrell, the founder of Radswan. Freddie, welcome. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is completely all ours. We are super delighted. So today's session is um, featuring Freddie, our fantastic guest of the hour, and her business, Radswan. Radswan um, is a hair accessory uh, company. Freddie was actually born in Paris, but founded the company and had a very interesting origin in the company because she founded across multiple markets from the very beginning. It's an international company from its from its origins, which in itself is a phenomenal challenge to be able to, to tackle. Freddie, can you tell us a little bit more about Rad Swan and how it came to be and you, where the idea came from and, and how did you get started? Very um, out of the blue, but it was like six years ago now. My husband got offered a job um, in Geneva at the time, and it was like a great opportunity for him. So we were like, let's go. And I had just, I was getting to this career change and then thought, okay, I need a side hustle if we go there. And oh, that came very quickly. I have people interested in hair. I have this hair supplier. Let's make a brand and the initial brand was called Big Hair No Care so that was kind of like a side hustle and then the evolution of it became Rats One and uh, just like a different story started but that's how it started. So Shapeshifter is absolutely appropriate description for your journey to think that you've gone from the very very I would say quite heavy quite beige world of hedge funds can you sort of take us through how you sort of manage this international from the moment it, it began? When I first launched it, at the same time, I had um, some friends of mine who had a beauty like website where they were like they had an amazing like curation of product they, they were also like new and it was such an innovative concept beautiful curation of products for like afro hair so initially what I did and then they were based in the UK as well so I created a social like an Instagram page and we had like just um like our website was more of a like of a window and mm-hmm. if you if you wanted to buy you would place the order on there website so that was how we did for the first like for the first few months so that's how we started and then we had our by the time we had our own website like and it was it was like what I called a very very soft launch and uh, but we kept like selling out as we sort of talked about you know the fact that you you did grow from this beginning and, and how you sort of managed to scale this how did you then transition I guess into the next stage into Rad Swan and and go on to have customers all over the world uh it was really by hitting a wall <laughs> that we progressed I think so we were international from the beginning the thing is so I started I already had a following uh so that's you know I it was in the other way, but I'm French and I was based in London, but 40% of my following was in the US and then it was the UK. And then France was like quite small, but still like, but France is a very engaged market in our, like with our product. We had this almost equal split uh, between the three markets from the beginning. So initially we launched a site from like in the UK and we were shipping globally. 
I think at the time the US was like still like 20% of, uh, of the activity. So we tried pop-up very early on and we tried like we did London first and then we did Paris and then we did New York. And that was when we did the US that we realized that, okay, like the demand is even so much bigger that we need to have, um, uh, we need to fulfill from the US as well. So a year and a bit after launching the UK site, we also launched like the US site and then like the, U the, the US became um, a much bigger part. And that's kind of like when we hit the first big wall. So the supplier that we had was the supplier that I was using for myself. And when, when I started this business, it was really not, I didn't think it would get very big. It was just mm. do something while, uh, so I don't get bored in Geneva. We only had like, two products and we couldn't develop like product development is, is very hard in that industry it's still something that you know we like we are battling with we just couldn't like grow bigger or do more or, so we hit that wall and that's when I was like okay this is bigger than what I think it is I think it's beyond hair okay we need to rename it we need to rethink it and this was already like end of 2018 so I took the decision to pause uh to pause the like the activity and then we uh, came back as Red Swan. And in that moment when you were sort of grappling, I guess, with the supplier and grappling with trying to create a fulfillment centre in the US, how were you able to try to, to manage that? Were you having to try to build teams? Did you have people in the US who were able to, to manage this on your behalf? Or can you share any sort of, I guess, sort of advice on how you've managed to build your teams? I've tried so many different routes. Like at the very beginning, at some point, for the US, we had like another entity, like another person who was really helping with the, the sort of operational side of things. At the time, that wasn't really the key. Like that, that didn't really work. Then obviously when I, um, in 2019, you know, I relaunched as um, Rats One and then I raised money from US investors and I moved to New York. I moved my family <laughs> to New York and that was like just like month before covid and then, you know, it was like a different approach. It was like, okay, like, let's um, hire a team. And I was, you know, I had like the, the network of the, of my investors and the, the other portfolio comp companies. And, but I was also like a different world because I was arriving in the US and everything is, you know, it's, it was so tricky. Like team building in itself is very hard. So trial and error <laughs> takes a different turn. <laughs> The thing for me with also like with people and managing teams is that I personally get too involved like deeply into like the person itself and it's hard to strike the balance. For me, it's really hard to strike the balance. So, you know, like you just Google the help you need. It doesn't have to be an employee. There's so many ways to do it. That is a really good tip. And I think it's I think it's probably an alternative one that perhaps people haven't considered or don't consider from the first instance as well. Mm -hmm. You talked about, sort of you and your um you know that you are a little bit introverted that things you know things that you have a very different approach to things how did you ensure that you kept the brand's values and your integrities and sort of who to stay true to who you are as you grew your business and as that scaled I think this for me is is much easier than any other like than the rest I like my strength as a person is really with um storytelling with creative with like the heart of the brand itself then when it comes to business operations and supply chain and everything like this is where I really really need help I also believe that with the or the community that we are serving hair extensions is so big for black women mm -hmm. such a big market but there's hardly any western-based player let alone black-owned players because it's such really? a market where 
you know, people know that black women are going to buy, like it's always going to sell, you know, because it's such a big market. So the the execution, the the innovation, all of those things are always an afterthought. So for me, it's, it's really important that we establish standards and that, that we stick to them. So the way that we treat our like customer service, um, the like the tone of voice or the like the whole experience is something that is documented in so many how do you say like rule books or like we've really 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 like focused hard on this is our our brand this is our this is how we speak this is who we serve this is why we serve this person and I would say that that has probably slowed us down a lot you know like we've had to really say no to some products that you know the sample was approved but in the batch uh production wasn't as good and you know we know that we have higher standards so like that has cost us a lot to maintain that but i would say that's uh for me like that's also our north star you know yeah. i know that this is a big market this is a big industry we can like we will um take our cuts there's no there's no rush really if you think about it so this is something that you can focus on I think the fact you've gone so deep into that customer experience level is something that is so powerful in an online marketplace as well. What was the best marketing practice that helped to increase your sales? Was there any one magic thing that you did? For us, really, it was the physical activations. Like we haven't, with Ratsman, actually uh, done that because, you know, because of like uh, COVID, we really focused the experience on content. But the, when it came to, yeah, pop-ups before were amazing for us. First, like meeting the audience, like I personally really love that. There's, um, and that's also like when I realized, like this is also when you discover, when you see what bonds you with your community and audience beyond the product that you're selling. Like that for me, I think it's really um rich like it's very important something that you and I talked about when we were sort of getting to know each other for this session was we often get given a very polished version of the entrepreneur journey we get a very slick I had an idea the next day I got an investor of suite of investors and then the next day I was at half a unicorn status and I think um there's also a lot of pressure on, on entrepreneurs to sort of live up to this this myth that that often is out there your view is is very honest, very real when you open up and share about that. Do you sort of, you know, is there anything in particular about your journey that you'd love to convey? You know, you've done it all as a as a working mom as well, which adds an extra layer of pressure. Um, but I just I don't know if there's something from your perspective on that sort of unglamorized, unpolished version of the entrepreneur's journey. Yes. You know, I haven't really been present on social media funny enough ever since like we've uh, like <laughs> we've raised money and then like launched I think because then I I already had a personal brand like was already like popular like online and I was already uncomfortable from the beginning and I've been vocal about it about how people can look at you on social media and then just think oh my god I want I wish I was more like you I was then like, I become someone who have raised $2 million and, you know, oh, they're like fashion influencer turned founder. And uh, especially, you know, also like as a black woman, like at the time there was not even like 50 women who had done, who had raised them, yeah. um, more women in the world. And 
it was so much. And all of a sudden, I know that a lot of people are using me to beat themselves up. But then like the journey that it started so intense that I'm not someone who can um, go through things and then talk about them as that happened. I know a life that a lot of people like look up to, you know, this is me, like being a busy CEO in New York, this is me. You know, I need to be able to just like talk about those things and have the space to do that. If I can't be fully honest, like I'd rather like just like step back. The social media can be very toxic for that. And at the same time, you know, I know that that, that has helped me to raise money as well, to have this profile there. But I always say like, this is not an influencer brand. This is not a brand that is attached to me. You know, like Big Hand Care was called Big Hand Care by Freddie Harold. That's one is not, you know, like I'm not the brand ambassador or the face of the brand per se. And um and I refuse to, to yeah, like to perform what this founder thing is because a lot of what these two years or so have been, it has been um, taking myself out. Or like you can really sabotage yourself by trying to to portray or perform your role. That's why I say like keep an open mind. It's a personal journey rather than a job. I think it's remarkable, and I think it's something that certainly we don't hear enough of in this space and powerful to hear you say don't do it be you don't don't be that picture so thank you so much for opening up on that thank you it was a pleasure to be here today genuinely wonderful thank you so much You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. 